Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. So I started, you know, Environmental Engineering Waterloo, then went straight to straight to Bay Street, straight to TD Asset Management. And, you know, my goal was always like, you know, I, I wanted to do things on the sustainability side, right? Um, environmental, et cetera. But, you know, you have to grind through. I was on the bond desk and then, you know, then I went to global equities. But then, you know, the, the opportunity came where we built the franchise from scratch, uh, the sustainability franchise at TD. So that's how it all started. Uh, and that was in 2007. I was actually reminding uh, my colleague Scott about that. Uh, that was in 2007. So we were we were the first bank to really push out sustainability. Now, uh, a little ahead of our time would be an understatement. <laughs> you know, it, you know that. It would that was, be an understatement. It was right. You know, and you kind of you're trying to convince, like, for lack of a better term, suits that you know this is you know this, you have to build something here and you know you know build towards it. Um, and and then you know that kind of built. Uh, you know, I took over the resource franchise. I was a co-manager on the flagship Canadian equity funds as well. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's where your heart is, right? And you know, ultimately, you got to be like, you know, you, you want you want to be direct drive in your life, right? You know, in and, you know, I had, a, I had the pleasure of meeting one of the greatest analysts I've ever uh, worked with in Scott Willis, uh, who was, uh, you know, who he was based in New York. We met at a bar. It, it was an energy conference. I think it was Barclays Energy Conference. Exactly. We were, there was a bar <laughs> across the street. Uh, we never returned to the conference. We just kept drinking. We're like, ah, we... <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was like, you know, it was, it was like, we, you know, our, our wavelengths were on the same place and we, you know, it was great. And then we just kind of, you know, then we, you know, we tag teamed it. in finance. If you can meet uh, your yin and yang in terms of like, you know, your skill sets don't overlap. You're not always like, you're not always trying to take the, you know, the, the high, you know, like finance is filled with a bunch of people that are always got ego, ego. You know what I mean? You meet yeah. people that don't have ego. You just want to win. And, you know, you, you, you just want to get that information and understanding, like, you know, and, and Scott and I just kind of built that. But then the part that really, the, the, the missing link uh, was uh, James Alfred, who was, uh, who basically is our whole creative. So if you ever see anything from Grizzle, it has like a very clear uh, visual aesthetic. And, um, and that was, uh, you know, we just felt like, hey, listen, let's pop something new for millennials. Uh, you know, the, something we knew the banks weren't servicing them. We knew the asset manager. It was just, it's a very, it was a very just old construct. And we just said, listen, if we're going to do this, we're not going to do this with just like a sports blazer. Let's just go full out. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go for my TD uniform to a sports blazer. Let's just go full out. Just tell the story, be ourselves, have a, have a good, have a good time. First and foremost, I think if you, if you come at it with having a good time, I think great things follow through. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, you know, that was certainly one of my, to your point on the yin and the yang, a partner of mine at, at Deutsche Bank, um, we, we were exactly that. And his big uh, mantra was always like, we got to have fun. We got to enjoy doing this. And we did. And the clients loved it on the institutional side. Um, people would be insulted if they weren't invited to one of our events where so many salespeople <laughs> were trying to get the clients to get to their events. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah well, well, you know, you have something special there, right? You like, that's like when that magnetism just, you know, you don't, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be forced. You don't have to push, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So tell me this though. It's so interesting though, that you have been gearing this to millennials and certainly there's going to be so much to talk about in terms of the meme stocks and, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and also too, I think what's been really interesting is is watching some of the younger people, actually a nephew of mine, um, who's so interested to learn how to make money in the market. And I, in fact, actually hooked him up with um, one of the guys who I think is one of the best technical analysts out there, period, and gave him lessons. This is an institutional technical analyst, and he so wants to help and kind of teach people how to understand the technicals that... Um, you know, he, he's actually educating some of them. Like that's a whole yeah. other time business for him to manage. Um, but, but so tell me about how you see the millennial, like why that was, uh, I mean, obviously it's, it's an unmet perhaps market need and that was the most obvious place to go. But 
How are you approaching them? Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, I guess, so now Grizzle's three and a half plus years, right? And, and you know, we, our view was that, you know, there was this unmet need to, totally. And, 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 you know, clearly what we felt is that, you know, like, we're not going to start, we're not going to start an investment orientated uh, firm and talk about railways and utilities, like, you know, with, you know, for, you know, with, with, you know it's, it's got to be about, uh, it's got to be about stocks that people care about, sectors that people care about, uh, the likes of that's who got into cannabis, uh, fake meat, uh, plant-based meat. But yeah, no, I think that comes, we're coming from this exact same place in the sense of, of we feel that, uh, we feel that there's a lot of excitement and just seeing what's happening in terms of all the youth, uh, young people that have been drawn to investing. Uh, this is just a golden era. And I literally say, who cares if they lose all their money? They don't really have much to begin with. Like literally the lessons you can get <laughs> from like getting totally steamrolled um, uh, in, you know, you're, you know, you're like, whatever, you're how old, 19, 20, whatever, whatever your age, you lose all your money. You're like, damn it. But the, the amount of time you, you spent learning um, and the, th you know, uh, you know, the things you picked up are so profound. Um, you know, and I learned that way, right? I still remember the crap that I bought spiders resources. I bought it for nine cents and then it was some sort of crap pump and dump went to two. I literally didn't look at it for another five years. I was like, Oh man. And then it came back up to 12 cents. I can't, I'm like, I can't believe it. It, it. It's got caught in another pump and dump and then I sold right away. Uh, but, the, but literally that is all like, you know, all of that energy, that excitement, it's all coming back. It's exciting. It's uh, this is the place to yeah. be. Well, so it's interesting, though, when you say, you know, you have to learn about a lot of different aspects of all of this. And, you know, I, I read your briefings in terms of what you've been sending out. What I thought was so interesting was your point about you got to get inflation right. Now, I don't know if you still believe that, but got to yep. get inflation right to figure out where the market's going to go because everything is priced on, on interest rates and discount rates. So. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's exciting to go right into the meme stocks, but I actually think we might need to start there. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, inflation is the, you know, everyone's talking inflation. This is, you know, this is the thing, right? You know, you know, the lumber memes were going, uh, were going. Oh my God, we can, we can take inflation into lumber and, and make them into memes. Like, just think about that for a second. Totally, totally. And, and you know, what was interesting is so and we kind of have to veer into Bitcoin as well because the interest in inflation, I would I would truly say if Bitcoin wasn't around, if you didn't have this asset that is very, like, you know gold bugs, I know gold bugs. This, uh, you know, anyone who's, you know, 20 to four, you know, 20 late thirties may not be as, as well versed with uh, the gold bug era and the gold bugs. And, but what they don't understand is the Bitcoiners are the gold bugs. They are always worried about inflation, right? So this, this uh, preoccupation with inflation, understanding it and having this asset that with Bitcoin that's so like almost antenna up concerned with inflation, I think 100% because, you know, if you, if you get your inflation call wrong, and Bitcoin, you know, where, you know, let's just say we have deflation or the Fed starts to increase interest rates, what does that do to the Bitcoin narrative, right? And and that, you know, so because Bitcoin is so central in this wave of money, um, I, I think that's why you have to, yeah, you at least have to be on the right side of it. Yeah. Um, but also I think too, when we think about why Bitcoin goes up or down or, or has gained so much attention and attraction is in part also because of many people recognizing that the central banks have been printing money for many that's years. Right. And at some point people are saying, wait a second, wait a second. There's just too much global debt going on. So that, that, you know, that's the other key reason, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, but like when you look at, look at it from the gold bugs time, they were right too. Like literally nothing's changed, you know, like interest rates kept going down. Uh, you still continue to have QE through the whole period. But what we didn't have was inflation because we didn't have velocity of money. Right. So this comes back to, are you going to become Japan? which is you have basically money printing, uh, negative interest rates, the whole thing, they threw everything at it. Uh, but Japanese people just chose to put it under, uh, you know, put it under their, uh, you know, uh, under their, under their bed, right? Like they weren't going out and spending that money and banks weren't lending it. So where we think interest rates are an understanding at least is knowing like, are you going to get that velocity of money, right? Sorry, inflation. Are you going to get that velocity of money? And that that really is the crux of uh, and, where we sit right now. And and so what do you think? I mean, we're going to have the Fed out tomorrow while we're on the topic. 
Um, and the market, the bond market in particular, is believing that the Fed is going to be accurate in saying in, in that inflation that we're seeing is in fact transitory. It's bottlenecks of supply chain issues. Yep. And then we'll be back to, you know, mediocre numbers on the inflation front. What do you think? Uh, so right now, the bond market, obviously, is, you're seeing you see yields come back in, uh, back in. And, you know, what I'd say is, you know, it's, the bond market's really tough to tell, too, because it's being manipulated as well. Like, you know, the, the, the long yields, you're seeing you're seeing the Fed buy out there as well. Right. So you are seeing it now. It's not being called. Uh, you, you know, you're not you're not getting the official, you know, we're, we're entering a new era. Uh, you know, we're going to buy up, you know, yield curve control. That's the term. We're, they're not officially saying it, but they're, they are doing it functionally. Right. And so how much are they managing the long end? You know, that. You know that's an issue, but I, I think the bigger I think the bigger nugget is what uh, so for consumers' expectations of inflation. It's when does that get on at anchor, right? So no matter where inflation is over the near term, people say, yeah, yeah. Well, I know inflation right now is about five percent, six percent, fine. But there's a wonderful chart that says, okay, yeah. But when you ask them that same question about five years out, it's always like, yeah, two and a half. Two and a half, and it never veers from that that two and a half to three. It's if that starts to get dislocated, then you get you get people doing irrational things, or you know, or rational things. If it's an inflationary environment where you end up hoarding things, and you start to start the cycle, right? Which is where you know, which is what the gold bug mantra, etc. That that. Mm -hmm. that. <laughs> and and so, what do you think, or how far out are you planning? Are you thinking just in the moment? I don't know how much of a trader you are yeah uh, so, your recommendations but what are you thinking then yeah so we don't we we don't trade a ton right so we're, we're investors long term uh we think you what you do is is that it's it, we don't think we, we the hyperinflation camp i think is 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 a i don't think that's that's an outcome that we're planning for right but we do think there are elements of inflation that are, aren't going to go away right so i think you can say yes, lumber is going to come back, and that will come back, right? Like we know that that's a supply issue, and and uh, you know that'll get resolved. But when you think of things like copper, that's something that basically you needed to tap that market 10, 15 years ago. You can't you can't be like, oh, listen, you know we're you know. So I think you're in this place where there's excess monetary, you know, there's there's enough kindling in the system to stoke demand. This is not going to turn into Japan, but we're not going to get hyperinflation. So you get this scenario where certain commodities will, will have, will, will, will feel inflation. Uh, and then, and then also in that same backdrop, you'll growth stocks will still do well because it's not runaway and, you know, interest rates haven't increased to such a level where you need to contain the whole thing. So you're, you're kind of describing a bit of a Goldilocks scenario, which is probably what we've been in since 2008. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, I would say there is an element of Goldilocks in the sense that, like, I would, I would still say that uh, inflation is a worry in the sense that um, we're going to, we can't afford a world where interest rates double. If you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So, so there, what you're, what you're going to end up getting is devaluation of currency, right? So there will be that dislocation. The real question, and I don't think it'll be a good one, is if Bitcoin and gold moon, those will signal, I, I like they go totally berserk, right? Something slow and steady for both of them is totally okay. But if they start to go parabolic up, I think then then you have to reassess everything. But right now, yeah, it, feel, it feels like gold. Like it, I would, I'd be careful to say Goldilocks, right? I see your currency devalue is not a, it's not a great outcome. But you want to own the things that have that get the uplift from inflation. Yeah, and, and to your point earlier about the commodities and and um, cop, uh, lumber coming back, but copper maybe not so much. I mean, WTI is also a perfect example of that as well in terms of the lack of investment spending in the sector for the past number of years, having been vilified, etc. Yep. Now, because of that and the goal towards ESG investing, which is so interesting that that's what you were so interested in, even way ahead of anybody else, um, that here we are uh, really seeing a pickup in the price of crude. Where do you think it goes? I mean, we're not even open around the world in terms of um, yeah. getting out of COVID. So, you know, obviously, currencies, commodities, they can move ahead of the fundamentals. But what are you thinking on, on that front? Yeah, so I, I, I'm far more bullish on copper just because, you know, I understand the, the constraints around mining and wh what it takes to bring a mine online. It's incredibly hard. I also know how quickly you can bring a shale oil well back online, right? So you know, that 
the difference is, uh, you know, so I, you know, I believe that we're in a constructive environment for oil and gas, but, uh, but I don't think it is a wildly bullish one that you can get for copper, right? Because you have this on-demand uh, supply from the U.S. that has proven that it comes back, right? And and also, if you know, if you start to get Iran back on, all of these other pieces that that ultimately could fill supply. I think for oil, it's it's a little trickier. And I know, I know, you know, some bulls want to, you know, really want to paint the, the the most bullish scenario there. But I think the other aspects that I can't tell. I know copper is really backed by demand because housing, electrification, I can give you all the reasons. I know those are going to fall through. With oil, I struggle with also the new reality of work from home, the flights, you know, all the, on the demand side, I don't, I don't quite know if it'll come back to where, where it was, right? I, I know for myself, the amount of traveling I did for business, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of that will be curtailed, right? And, you know, transportation's, Air, airlines are not an insignificant part of the demand uh, of the demand mix. Right, got it. Um, Copper's at a seven-week low, though. Um, yeah, is it yeah. an opportunity here? Yeah, I would. It's for, so, for, from from our from our perspective, it's it's the one commodity that we like in in terms of an inflation protection mix. I, you know, yeah. So, it, you know, an opportunity. If you missed it, you could probably get back into it. But yeah, no, I'm not that concerned at all. It, you know, we're still we're still at a very 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 uh, attractive <laughs> price level. You know, uh, I, I we're you know it's it's from my perspective. I, I'm trying to think what we, what we've done year over year. But still, you know, when you look at what lumber did, lumber went parabolic to do all time highs. Copper's still in around you know where it was. Right, it's it still has another breakout left to happen. Okay. Um, you know, and just to go back to, and, and again, I want people to understand that you were on the, on the buy side, yeah. 2002 to 2017, director yeah. of research for global resources. That's right. I was doing resources. Yeah. Resources the whole time. I started with utilities <laughs> then you know, then went to energy then, uh, well, and through the whole time, uh, you know, we were investing in windmills, Gamesa in Spain and Vestas in uh, Denmark. I've seen it all. I've seen, I've seen the highs. Seen it all. And we're going to go through it all-ish. Um, but I want to go back to what we were just talking about as it relates to um, uh, targeting the, the millennials. So tell me what your approach is. Yeah. So I, I think I think the, the millennial growth sectors are some of the most poised that anyone should have exposure to, right? I think if you're in an index fund, uh, and you're, you know, or, or you're just like, you know, you're following a narrative that's very boomer, right? Oh, you know, uh, like, you know, well, things will come back, the world will come back to normal, well, you know, oil will be 100 and, you know, all these sorts of things. I, I think, you know, I think you could be very, uh, you could be put in a very, um, very tough position, right? And, and hmm. not having exposure to millennial growth sectors, like psychedelics, like cannabis, uh, you know, like plant-based foods, just to shun all of that, and stay with an index that is very fuddy duddy, uh, very boomer esque, uh, and that's what index investing <laughs> is. I think that's really we're in, we're in we we've just completed the index revolution, where basically every everyone scurried to the lowest cost you could find. The markets all go up together, uh, but a bing, but a boom, and then now we're entering the new revolution where it comes back to active. Uh, it's exciting again. Meme stocks are showing that, like that's totally some an aberration that no one could have seen. It is what it is, but it's showing you there are ways to pick pick off the market in new and differentiated ways. And investors are very open to those ideas. And I think that's if if you're not if you can't be creative right now, if you can't identify new trends, uh, you're just working on reversion to the mean of me uh, reversion to the mean of these old old industries, etc. You're gonna be you're gonna be in for a, a rude surprise. And you already have been, right? You should have been overweight technology through the last 20 years, right? But everyone's like, oh, well, you know, these things just went down. I'll just keep adding, I'll, I'll just keep backing into these old businesses like Kraft and all this stuff. Right, and to your point, you know, even when Amazon uh, was trading at a high number that nobody could kind of justify from a valuation perspective, to your point, you had to really get out there and think about, okay, well, what would Amazon be, um, you know, five years down the road? Um, that And that was hard for a lot of people to do, to be able to buy in. 
Totally. And, and Catherine, you probably know now this same people you were telling that you talked to and, and you know, not naming names, but you know, the, you know, old, you know, a different generational set of portfolio managers. I know them. they're all thinking the same. They're like, oh no, Google too expensive. This was like seven years ago. Uh, uh, Facebook's too expensive. All this stuff too expensive. Amazon, crazy, crazy. Now they're like, you need to own Google. You need to own Facebook. This is cheap. I'm like, wait a minute, you are doing exactly what you were doing back then, which is basically when these guys are like the negative indicator, right? They're, they're your contra indicator. When they're saying, uh, you know, like now, mind you, I like Google and I like Facebook, but I was going to ask, <laughs> but it's going to, but it tells you a lot, right? When, when basically the, you know, the, the value construct has moved this far where now they're viewing, you know, all of this SaaS stuff is crazy. You know, let's just stay here. And, and, you know, sure as, sure as day comes to night, you look 10 years out, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I wish I owned some of that SaaS, but here I am, you know? So, well, that's a great point. So, um, you know, now people who are listening, who aren't the millennials, who are probably more my followers, um, but maybe I'll get some millennials. Oh, but, no, uh, there's, there's some millennials here. <laughs> oh, the Murray man. I got, we, got, we got a lot of, we got a lot of uh, okay. uh, our followers. Crystal putting in the work for their followers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. Because I think though that, you know, you do want a balanced portfolio and you being a portfolio manager for all yep. those years, you obviously know that. And, you know, I do like to look at some of the stocks and say, this is trading at a discount and there will be a reversion to the mean, or there are some good growth opportunities and not wanting the volatility and the risk parameters that, um, you know, a high, uh, yeah, like a, a lower market cap company might be or a new edge. So, um, you know, I don't know, we're going to talk though about, you know, those more meme stocks and, and yeah, those yeah. areas, but, but are, are there any of those kind of big old tech names and to your point, software as a service, that was my whole point. Yep. Um, I look at some of those stocks because I they are they've proven themselves. We know they're great quality. Yep. Maybe there was some overvaluation, some of them, but what you're yeah. telling me too is that's still an area to go into for the next 10 years. Yeah, yes. you know, so and so we are still valuation focused. So all these things I'm saying here, we you know, we still have a lens of value because I think you have to, right? And which is which is what leads us to in the US cannabis space. We think you can pick off companies there for seven times EV EBITDA, like very low multiples. Like they actually have EBITDA. That's the thing, right? You know, they, they're actually, you know, they have margins. So you you can pick off companies that actually are profitable, uh, that don't trade on totally crazy multiples, you know, that reasonable. So I think you can definitely find growth at a reasonable price. And you know, I, I, I don't like the, the term GARP is always one of these, everyone says they're GARP. Who doesn't want growth? I, I just want, you know, anyone who says they're not GARP is lying to themselves, right? Yes, I'm growth at a reasonable price. Who says they want no growth at a, at a very cheap price? Like nobody wants that, right? Um, right. And, I, and I think that's the part is, you know, what part of the ecosystem are we in now? And I still think um, commodities, so it, taking that lens of, you know, some, uh, you know, somebody who's saying, listen, uh, you know, I still can't devoid myself from, from value. Uh, I still need to figure it out. Go buy tons of copper, right? Look, gold miners are, you know, they they have the, they have the largest free cash flow yields ever in the history of, you know, in the history, in, yeah. in the last 30 years. So I think you're in this, you're in this beautiful time where you can take the bet on growth, do it, and you can take the bet on commodities. Hey, and listen, if I'm wrong on one, I win massively on the other. And if I'm right on this, I think you win on both, which is the Goldilocks scenario where you get in certain commodity tracks, you get real inflation, like not lumber, i.e., you know, we weren't, you know, we, we definitely weren't advocating following that, you know, following that thing. We said it was a Canadian cartel activity, and that's proven to be right. <laughs> it's uh, what? When what? <laughs> no. It, yes, yeah, so if Canadian cartel activity is what was, it was, uh, it was <laughs> the lumber mills, the mills themselves were, uh, the, the trees were, were, were not the problem. But, 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 you know, net, net, you, you look at certain supply demand mixes, you say, listen, lumber is not, lumber is not going to continue mooning. In fact, it'll come down. But when you think of things like copper, uh, oil and gas, you know, the, the other part that I like is natural gas. I think if I had to be bullish on one something, super, uh, super medium term uh, is natural gas. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, no, I, I've heard, I've, I've heard that from uh, another person as well to, to go long net gas. Um, but let's go back to, let, let's start with some of the meme stocks these days. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe for my, you know, non-millennial view, viewers, 
Um, describe what this is, how it happened. It, people are saying this, this is it, this is in fact a new asset class. Yep. Uh, so you know, I think I think everyone was so the power of uh, of Reddit, Wall Street bets, and can't just like Twitter has been a huge part of this. This is the new avant garde of investing, right? And uh, and you know, Twitter itself is so powerful, right? And I, so since leaving uh, Bay Street, uh, buy side, large asset management. So the amount of, as you know, as you know, Gavin, you know, the number, the amount of information that you get being at a shop like TD, it spoils you, right? Cause you're like, hey, call this broker. I get this, that, you know, anything you want, you can have in terms of research. And then you leave, you're like, okay, and now what? You know what I mean? You know, the, the, but we, we then were, because at TD, we couldn't even have Twitter. So, you know what I mean? But now then I found Twitter, I'm like, this is amazing. This is literally, so when I tell somebody, a young person that comes to see me, like, oh, you know, what should I do? I'm like, do exactly the opposite of what any, any what, what anyone would have told you like 10 years ago, right? Oh, well, you know, follow this, you know, do an associate here. No, just spend your time on Twitter. Uh, you know, Reddit is a little bonkers, but but irrespective, there's a ton of information, there's a ton of education happening that is not going away. This is the new world, and these and this is this is for real, and it's for here to stay. Now, some of the strategies that have been used for mean style, I don't know if those will survive, but I think the population, the community, uh, this is not going to go away, irrespective of of some of these guys getting wiped out, and they will. Uh, but but you know, and maybe some will win to you know live another day. But just the excitement in the market and bringing everyone to think about money and, and how to grow money, I think, is an incredible thing that we could we, we would we, we could only hope for something like this. So so in other words, you're saying that the positive out of these stocks, this maybe asset class, is that um, people can chat on their own. That there is a democratization of understanding stocks and stories, we hope, we hope, yeah. um, versus having to have access to information. Yes, for sure. And, and you know, like the, the idea, the beauty of social networks is that, you know, the greatest ideas always bubble to the top, right? So hopefully you're not in a silo of like all the wrong information. But if I go on Twitter, I know, you know, from the people that I follow, you're getting great retweets of really good information. And that is the part where the, the education that you can get on Twitter the access to some of the greatest minds in the world is, is just incredible. And, and that, and I think that is just the greatest equalizer, right? It's not like I have to wait for a call from a certain broker to tell me, you know, something's, you know, something's <laughs> happening, right? Well, no, and that's a great point. Like when I do see some of the, um, you know, the most famous and, and rightly so investors out there, and again, I'm not going to name names, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when I see their comments on Twitter, I'm like, okay, I like that perspective. I like how he's looking at things. Um, now, of course, I always love to see them interviewed as well because it's a longer conversation, but at yeah, least yeah. kind of gives you a snippet in terms of what they're thinking. Um, but, you know, it's funny because the way you describe how to look at investing now versus in the past and not to do it in the past, I guess I'm old <laughs> because <laughs> I would still recommend young people read the 10Ks, read the oh. 10Qs, read those footnotes because you'll see the most, some of the most important things in there. Yeah, you, so so I, I and I have to be clear, right? So I'm saying you know old pathways of you know go go knock on every door, you know go to Scotia, go to you know get that back office job, work towards the front office. I'd say you can skip all of that and hmm. go right to Twitter and start to learn, like see what other people like. The cannabis sector has been phenomenal. There's been some phenomenal fundamental analysts in the cannabis sector that show their show their work going to Cedar, pulling these things. So if you want to learn. It's all there for you, and it's an incredible walkthrough. And the nice thing yeah. about it is, they're one DM away, one direct message away from you saying, "Listen, I didn't quite understand that. What were you thinking?" That kind of access to to insights and great minds is incredible. Now, now to your point, right? You know, uh, so definitely, so it's bringing all that fundamental work. We're fundamental analysts, right? The way we look at, uh, we're fundamental portfolio managers. So we we think those things are bedrocks of understanding value. You can't you can't be totally devoid of that. Um, and you know, bringing it up, there was an in interesting graph that I saw uh, literally last week. It was from the FT that was looking at the number of machines, so programs, et cetera, that were pulling um, that were pulling uh, basically 10K filings, they, all you know SEC filings, and basically it had gone parabolic. 
So, so, so here's an interesting take on what you're saying, right? So what I'd say is yes, uh, that fundamental work is critical, but here's another layer. Add a computer machine element to it. Get like, cause the biggest challenge that I have is I have a hundred of these reports to get through. Can a machine tell me to just focus on 10? Great. (laughs) <laughs> right. What kind of what kind of AI, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, what's there out there that, that could help me? Right. Be it like, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of those uh, things now with, that listen to conference calls and then they they do the what's it called? Um, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, Word diag- count. Yeah, yeah, um, di- like diagnostics to say, you know, like whether they're lying, you know, you know, what, you, you know, what was their uh, when you, you know, all of that stuff is really important. Right. If you put if you piece it together i think you know and we've seen a phenomenal number of uh complete frauds right L- uh, there was that lord sound motors and all this sort of stuff right L- lots of lots of really fake businesses out there during this whole time and i i don't know about that company at all I mean, also, it's, been, it's been in the news but yeah, yeah so, I, I, so, I can't comment on that but basically you know these spac vehicles have basically incorporated a lot and so talking about all this whole nouveau of of um of esg and environment, right? So you, by definition, you attract hucksters uh, mm. and the EV space has attracted a like plethora of hucksters again. So this is where I think fundamental fundamental analysis makes a ton of sense, right? So here you would identify, you know, some of these companies, this, this doesn't look real, feel real. And for the most part, they weren't real. Like one company was basically, they were showing their model, they, they rolled it down a hill, right? You know what I mean? Like that kind of, you know, that kind of just absolute absurd lies, but, but it, you were in a mania of sorts for environmental assets. So you can get that sort of stuff. So let's talk about the cannabis sector where you have done a lot of fundamental analysis. Um, and just describe to me why this is such an opportunity. I mean, obviously, especially being in Canada, I mean, we've been following it for so many years now. I still don't understand what the true end market demand is or will be. And, and you know, looking at the business models, you, I mean, you talk about the U.S. ones having good margins. Yep. I mean, talk to me about the fundamentals. Yeah, so I think, you know, you, you really nailed it. There's, there's, it's a tale of two, two, two countries. There's Canada and then there's the U.S., right? And I think if you look at what happened in Canada, it's everything that, uh, you know, it's a classic situation where the, you didn't have great operators to begin with. It was it it was a um, you know it was a hype bubble. Uh, the leaders were, get, were have all been proven to be poor, you know, poor at everything they did, right? It, you know, from the top, right, from Canopy to Aurora, like th- this is a, a complete decimation, right? This is this is not like gold. This is not like uh, you know uh, our uh, oil and gas companies where you have some companies that are left that are strong and but you know you don't have a, you don't have a Suncor here. From so put it another way, if I were to compare uh, Canadian oil versus Canadian cannabis. We don't even have a Suncorn Canadian cannabis, right? But to, to put it that way, so uh, a complete sector that was mismanaged, didn't uh, didn't understand uh, didn't understand the uh, their own supply demand situation, how it was going to play out, and lastly, didn't even have a product that consumers wanted. So those are all the things that come together in cannabis, right? So you had in Canadian cannabis in America in a, in the U.S. We're still very early, right? It's obviously still not legal at a federal level there. But in addition to that, you've had companies that had to be lean and profitable as they've expanded state by state. And that is the big difference, right? You see, you see companies that are growing both top line and the, you know, and their profit line, right? So that is something that just never existed in Canada. Hmm. So what, what is though, you know, from a federal perspective and it not being legal in the United States and going state by state, how does that actually impact the, the business model in terms of, I don't know, consolidating the business model, being able to have leverage um, yeah. within the business and therefore getting profit margins? I mean, just, just tell us how you think about this and therefore, you know, what, what kind of stocks do you like? Yeah, so we think, so irrespective of when it becomes legal, legal at a federal level, I think the tailwinds of just growth. Taking something that was, you know, that was in the black market and bringing, you know, state by state as you do that, you get this, you get this, you get this natural tailwind that, that irrespective will work, right? Now, if you get, you know, there are certain aspects of the business that, uh, you know, we we had just had a cannabis conference that, you know, we we heard some very interesting uh, tidbits, right, where basically, you know, it's still a cash business, right? So when you go to a dispensary in Florida. You can't you can't use credit cards, 
You're doing, you're doing everything by cash or in some cases debit, but not credit cards. So imagine, so imagine when that happens, where you get a situation where banking is allowed. And I think that you, you could, you really get to a, a much better place in terms of uh, just additional tailwinds that come through. So these companies have been great. Like, so TrueLeave is a great example. They've been able to grow on an annualized growth rate of 130% per year. And all of that doing it, you know, by doing like a high 30% margin, the EBITDA margin, right? So from our perspective, this is a company that's thriving in, in, a, in, a, in an environment where things are still tough, right? It, you know, someone can't come in with a credit card and buy things, right? And what happens when that day comes? And I think that's the opportunity, but you have to be selective. It's about picking the right US stocks. Uh, you know, there's like every growth sector, 90% of things are not worth owning. But- you know, Thomas, when you take a look at those numbers that you just gave in terms of the top line growth and the profit margin, I think this is so important to to understand that, you know, when I was back uh, at William Blair in the late 90s, uh, you know, doing equity research on dot com companies, there are standards that are allowed in new industries in terms of, you know, gross versus net. Uh, what you're allowed to pull out on put on the side in terms of your income statement and your your expenses. So what do, is there anything there that we need to know about? Because when you talk about those kind of numbers, you got to understand what they actually are. Yeah, no, no. And from our perspective, there isn't a lot. Of, you're not. It's not. Uh, you, you know what? The it was it. Uh, WeWork that was using community adjusted EBITDA. Right. This isn't. You know, there, there isn't. You're, you're not standing on your head to get to these numbers. This is just the okay. natural prof, profitability of these businesses. So it's it's much cleaner than a lot of other. Like I would say on the tech side, there's a lot more um, uh, creativeness, if you will. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 those companies are are many of the companies are still early stage and they're literally, so they'll have very high gross margins, but then as you clearly said, it's everything underneath the gross margin that can you even get to EBITDA and you, you know, very much most of the time, you know, that's a struggle. And, and earnings like are what are you earning and how many times do you have to go to the market and raise capital? Yeah. Yeah. You know? and, 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 and the thing is, it's, it's when a company is growing 130% per year, that sort of thing, you, you're open to you're open to providing capital because that's the right that's the right capital right. allocation decision, right? It, yeah. it, it's, especially if you're earning your cost of capital. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just sometimes you know you know particularly it's it's more on the private equity VC side where you don't want to continue to get diluted. Yeah. So okay, but sure. uh, in in cannabis, Trueleaf is the one that you like. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was, you know, we were talking three, three, three picks, but you know, I would, I would say any of the top operators for somebody who, so we have an entire basket that uh, we have an entire portfolio, a, 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 a grizzled cannabis portfolio that we publish monthly and we it's open to the world. And so anyone can look at them. So we think a nice mix of stocks across where it's always hard to name one because you want to, you want to take a portfolio approach, but we think, you know, truly Cresco, Curaleaf, TerraSend, there's a bunch of top operators that I think it deserves a spot in terms of like, you know, if you just had to own a one or two, but you, okay. we also think you, we also think you should own uh, some of the more growthy names, right? They're smaller uh, and it gives you that growth exposure because obviously the larger companies are not going to have that explosive level of growth, even though they're growing top line at, you know, call it hundred percent, you know, high, high seventies, eighties. And are those the growers, the ones that you mentioned? No, or yeah. So, so the, the, the largest companies are growing that much, but the growers are growing, you know, in excess of two, 300%. Year over year. What would be one name? Yeah, so Gage Gage Cannabis is is one. Uh, so you know we've we've looked at uh, Glasshouse is another. Virio uh, now there you know so there there are several names that are definitely in that arena that because of just their size, the states that they're about to move into, that's yeah. just the the math works out that way because they have all the licenses to move into these new states, right? And 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 these the states are on off, so they'll. Some will just be medical alone and others will have, you know, so they'll just be opening for the first time medical, but others will be medical and now they're just opening for rec. So you have these gates that open up and, and you know, new growth, new growth sprints start all the time. Okay, so let me ask this, because again, I, I'm, I do try to understand the cannabis sector yeah. and probably not that well. So, <laughs> um, but if, if, you know, if we're looking at a pie 100%, what what percentage do you think is recreational? What will be medical? 
Um, what is the true demand? I mean, who knew that we needed all these cannabis companies? And I understand, of course, it's taking from the black market, which also brings me to question the pricing, because that's something that, you know, we've looked at here in Canada as it relates to, are you really taking it off the street? And, yeah. and with the rules and regulations, people are allowed to grow at home. Yeah. How does that, how does that all make a, a great business model? <laughs> right. And, and so, so from our perspective, Canada is a very different situation than, than America, right? The way, way these states are opening up. Also, the, uh, in America, the, the tolerance of home grow is not the same as it is in Canada, right? Like, so in some oh. states, are, right, you, you're not going to get the same situation where, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, everyone's got seven plants in their backyard. That's not, you know, in, in New York, you know, New York State, that may not be the case. You know, other states are not going to have that kind of situation. It's still a very, America is still very, you know, there's that police element that, you know, you're not, you're not going to have that aspect. Cannabis in the U.S., we still think we're in, like, using the baseball analogy, we're in the fourth or fifth inning, maybe likely earlier, right? So there's still significant, uh, there's st still significant runway ahead. Okay. I, I want to talk about psychedelics. Um, yeah. And this was kind of really brought to my uh, attention from um, one of the exchanges in, in Canada um, that I think is taking quite a few companies public. Um, so we, what, what's, and you know, Kevin O'Leary, seeing him in the studio, Yep. Um, a number of years ago, he he was talking to me about psychedelics. Then was invested in one. I can't remember the name of it now. Yeah, he was. Mind I'm med. sure. He, is it what is it? Mind Med, Mind Med, uh, okay. which 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 unfortunately unfortunately for uh, for them, they, 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 the CEO had left abruptly, and uh, and uh, and uh, who else was uh, who was there? Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Bruce Linton was involved. Oh. And uh, yeah, it's a, like kind of messy situation where basically don't like, talk about it. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Only positive. <laughs> we have to. You can't. You know what? This is the. But I'll I'll tell you, Catherine. You know what? This is the problem. I'll tell you the truth. Right. The problem is a lot of there's just like you know, a lot of people just get into stocks to get hyped, and then they end up becoming skeleton companies. Right. And, you know, you're like, wait, what's happened? CEO's gone. You know, people have all sold their shares, and then you, you know, this is that classic situation where you get. You know, we're in millennial. This is the biggest risk in millennial investing is that most of these companies are like the, so many of them will not make it to the finish line. Okay, don't name names. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, but 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 irrespective, you know, obviously, like I think the share price has done incredibly well. Uh, but we think, it, you know, there's an interesting uh, we're at an interesting juncture specifically where the opportunity uh, where society accepting psychedelics is it is a far you know we're in a far better place for sure so so uh, you know quite frankly i don't know anything about psychedelics i mean i say that in the sense that i don't you know i don't take an i actually don't even take aspirin right, very right. boring here i do no. like chardonnay but that's it <laughs> that's, good, good, good. <laughs> that's right. enough for for this yeah. person yeah. yeah well you know you know i'll give you a little bit of I'll, I'll give you a little background on on my my history with psychedelics and um so i was so uh, I was an open recreational user of psychedelics and and um, and cannabis, et cetera. But uh, what really uh, took me over to the medical side of the benefits of it is uh, I was getting these incredibly bad cluster migraine headaches, incredibly bad. Uh, so it, if you know anyone that's been aff afflicted with it, uh, what, what ends up happening is it comes back at the same time of the year. Uh, and it's just like every day you wake up and it's like Groundhog's Day. It just comes and it just basically locks you in, right? Um, <laughs> and then, you know, if you know anyone that has it, they'll just say, okay, well, you've tried your Advil, aspirins, whatever, and none of it's working. So now we're going to give you something really strong. And for the most part, that doesn't work either. So you're left battling this until, you know, the cluster migraine goes away. So then um, a friend of mine, you know, they said, listen, have you tried, have you tried uh, magic mushrooms? And I like, no, you know, you, you get frustrated. You look, like, I can try it. And basically, it took it away completely. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll explain to you what happened. Like, I'll give, give you the best uh, example of it. A cluster migraine is like uh, basically a record that's skipping, right? And all you want every day is that skipping to stop. You just want it to, you know, you want it to just pop over. And I think of what happens. And, you, and when you take uh, when you take psilocybin, which is the active uh, active ingredient in, in magic mushrooms, it basically is like someone lifting the needle off the record and putting it on the groove again and you're back. Right. And, and that was, that was my experience specifically with cluster migraines. I'm like, this is, 
This is incredible. And you know, the, the most beautiful part about that is Catherine, I wasn't having to take psychedelics every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> Someone's not like, you know what I mean? Like I don't have to live in this, you know, like, you know, I basically you take it once and, uh, and it, and it does, uh, it takes care of that. And so I, I knock on fake wood here. Um, I, 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 that was four years ago, four years, uh, before I started at Grizzle, uh, I, you know, and I had that for basically two and a half years and gone. Never go wow. back. Yep. So, but, but then if, if it, if it helps you that much, I mean, what do you actually think will be the, the market opportunity here. Huge, huge. Like if, if, if that, if, if the norm right now is to treat somebody with this, you know, the scaling of all these pain medications that don't, don't actually address the problem. And I'm, you know, I'm just starting with cluster migraines, which is a huge problem. I mean, that, that itself is a big problem. But once you start to tackle depression, Right now, that is something that I, you know, I've also, I've also dealt with. And I know a lot of people that, you know, in their family and I've, I've seen, you know, I've seen, um, I've seen my, you know, my mom go through basically, you know, what should have been, uh, what should have been treated with counseling, uh, mm -hmm. instead treated with pills, right? And she's like, okay, but then, you know, you can't, there, like you, once you start on that treadmill of this stuff, you can't get off. And I'm talking about depression medication. Right. And, yeah. uh, and so, and I don't know anyone that has been, uh, uh, you know, that ha had to deal with depression that's ever said, amazing. I love how pharma's helped me. They, they curse. That's a great point. They curse well, it. You, they you say know, it helps a little but but it does, it certainly doesn't help a lot is what no, I hear. You know, like if you, if it helps, a, it, they need to take it because it's where they, where they are, they're cornered. Right. But if you were to ask them is, has their life been appreciably better, you know, in the last five years, they'll say no, no one I know that says, this is great. I, I love taking these pills every day. You know, what a, you know, it's, it's not like the polio vaccine or the coronavirus vaccine, those things like were great or whatever, right. You know, you, they actually, you, you know, everyone's yeah, I mean, you know, but you know, like, so, you know, I know so-and-so that had polio. I don't have polio, you know, but, but, what we have in depression is you have a classic situation where the standard treatment is a terrible treatment. It's a terrible treatment. Uh, and what you have now uh, for treating things all the way from, you know, serious depression, uh, you know, to, uh, to PTSD, uh, all of these, all of these challenges, um, uh, the, you know, these very, very serious issues, uh, mental issues can be dealt with, with psychedelics. So where are we though, as it relates to the medical community, doctors, um, I don't know if they issue prescriptions for this. I assume they would FDA approval. Um, uh, and, and where, what are the companies you're looking at and where do they fit into this whole conversation? Yeah. So, so one of the companies we did a really big deep dive on was compass pathways, right? We felt that they were one of the most advanced in terms of uh, what they had. And so they had a clinical treatment. So basically, basically they have this thing for people with, um, basically treatment resistant depression. So any people who have, uh, you know, basically you, you've tried pill A doesn't work, pill B doesn't work. And now you're on like the, the last stage. So this is, you know, this is a large cohort of people, basically their, their trial that's going through, uh, through the FDA process is to address that and it totally treats it. It, it's, it's, it really takes, it, it takes care of those people where they actually have, are left with no option, hmm. which is, what, which, what phase are they on? So now they're on 2B. So they, they have 216, uh, patient treatment resistant, uh, depression patients that are on, that's on 2B. Prior psilocybin clinical trials have shown a 60 to 80% positive, significant positive response. Um, what's the ticker, US or Canadian company? It's a US company, CMPS, Compass Pathways. Okay. And, uh, and the, so it's psilocybin, it's a form, it's, so what they, what they have is basically it's a combination of psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, the, the, the pill, uh, in different, and what they're working out right now is what's the correct dosage, which, you know, um, but that's not, you know, it's not take a pill, go home. We'll see it. We'll see you in, in a couple of weeks. It's take a pill. There's a therapy regime. Uh, you know, this is basically, you have a therapy, you're working with a therapist and basically you do that treatment once and you don't come back 
for a year, another half a year. So it's, you're not on that pill every day, uh, which, uh, which if, you know, th th these pills are strong. They do all, all sorts of weird things to you know, your body, right? For, especially for older people, right? Uh, so in terms of the ability of, of older people to, from a, from a physical level, to take mm -hmm. anti-depression medications every day versus taking a one-time uh, per year dosage of Comp360 with a therapist, yeah. that's a much better spot to be. So, you know, I guess, you know, I could keep going down this uh, train of thinking, but um, yeah, I want to get to one more and then believe it or not, it's almost been an hour. We said that we're going to do this. Oh, wow. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, the funny thing about not being, you know, TV, TV per se is you're not cut off, you know, at, 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 on the hard hour. Uh, and anybody knows me knows I like to go a little bit late. But anyway, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Let, let, let me just ask this question, though. Um, you know, psychedelics, I mean, I was at the 60s and 70s, like, obviously, there was a fear factor with using them. So what changed? Why? Why did they get back into business and or, or or a real business that is now actually having FDA trials. So I think I think you know what we've obviously that was you know you had you had the period there where you know everyone experimenting etc. I think time just went by and then you know people under you know in you'd have in these clinical settings like they would actually be like trials like so you you were allowed to do that where you're saying wait a minute this can treat PTSD right you know uh, ecstasy has anyone who's used you know, uh, MDMA or, or psilocybin knows that the mind altering effects are so significant, right? The empathy, you know, they're just, just the things that, you know, that overwhelm you to then just be like, ah, you know, that's just a recreational drug. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, that is, um, you know, I think we've, what we've really gone through is the cusp of taking it from that place and then applying it, uh, in, in obviously in this case with uh, compass path compass pathways in a significant way right and so you know I just think we're at that part we're at that part and this this is you know society's uh like I, I would say hang-ups around drugs and the word drugs I think those are all just melting away you know just you just want good people man and that you know that's not you know that is not indicative if someone smokes cannabis right I'll, I'll tell you for a fact I know more, like, like I know of more instances of of uh, men who are abusive because they're alcoholics, and I don't know that many. Like, you know, if you were to look at, uh, can you know, potheads that are abusive versus alcoholics, like, I would say al alcoholism, you know, alcohol is a much worse thing. So I, I think in general, you know, you're getting an acceptance that these things aren't the boogeyman, you know, that people are yeah. thought they were, and I, you know, I think we're in a much better place. Um, I want to get your last pick for us, um, Danimer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so Danimer Scientific. That's a that's a that's an ESG play straight up. Um, it's, okay. Uh, so it's a bioplastics. Uh, so they're in the bioplastics business, and uh, they've so they're they've created a, uh, a a compound that basically is equivalent to plastic, but it biodegrades and. 90, 90 days to a, you know, maybe in, in suboptimal conditions up to a year. Uh, but so the biggest issue, like, let, let me talk about plastic, right? Uh, the misnomer that we put things like, I, these blue bins are very bad in, in the sense that people have this view that you put it into a blue bin and it just go, it goes, it goes into the sorting machine and it comes back as a bottle. That is the furthest from the truth. Most of this stuff is uh, like with the word for it, uh, basically like, you know, it's it's contaminated. So it has to go then directly to landfill. And in, 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 if you're close to the coast, it just goes into the water, right? So, you'll, you know, we have those islands, those plastic islands, those very, you know, everyone knows those, you know, in, in uh, I think it's the Pacific, it's actually a massive landmass, right? So yeah. the, the, the idea of, of dealing with plastics vis-a-vis -vis recycling, I think is not a starter, right? So the, we know we need a better solution. And, and I think, you know, I think, you know, we as, as humanity are ingenious enough to do these things, right? And so this, uh, this bioplastic is very fascinating in that it biodegrades. Uh, so you just put it in with the trash and it goes. And, uh, and that, that to us is a far more elegant solution then, uh, you know, then this idea that, you know, these things get recycled, they, they don't, or go into the ocean, even worse, um, it, where it basically goes into the landfill and it biodegrades, right? And I think that's far more positive. 
the the other aspect of this too is you've also got the tailwind of um, of regulation. So in Europe, I think it's the end of this year or this year itself. Uh, basically, there will be no uh, no disposable plastic utensils. Right. So that goes away. And that I think is coming in Canada as well. And India has gone for that as well. So all of these regions are going for basically zero, zero plastic. We obviously in Toronto, we've seen that happen with uh, the extinction of the plastic bag. Right. So with Danimer, um, what, what, what's the ticker? Where is it trade? Uh, does it have any followings, street following analysts, etc. And and one more question. Um, do they have any big customer wins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they've, they've got Wrigley's. They've, they've actually, they're the, they're the largest. They, they are the gorilla in the room, right? So you're going to see like Skittles packages very shortly with, with the Danimer, uh, basically the, the bioplastics around them. And, uh, Skittles. So, Skittles. Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? I mean, yeah. out of all the candy, it's Skittles. Well, one of them. No, it's like the whole like thing. You're gonna get it on everything, right? It's it, no, no. It, it'll be the the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Um, we the, we might be the same age if you're talking about Skittles. <laughs> you know, those candy stores never change. It's like it's still the same things. It's it's still uh it's still yes. Yeah. So it's it's gonna be a plethora of, of you know whatever Reese's pieces whatnot. Um, so the, but they're working with all the big guys, but. Secondarily, uh, the other aspect is that they're they're they are by far the biggest, right? So they're the ones that, that are positioned to you know to be the aggregator. And this it's a game of cost too, right? So at the end of the day, scale is everything. So if you're if you've got if you're the bioplastic producer that's you know 50 times bigger than your next competitor, you know, that's 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 your edge. The other aspect too is this regulation that we think is huge. And also um, in terms of, I think you, you, the question was around uh, institutional coverage. Jeffries yeah. is covering it. Um, oh, okay. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have my Bloomberg up, but other, I believe there's probably one or two other brokers that are covering it as well. Okay, that's uh, that's always kind of good to know in terms of just understanding where it is and it's um, yeah. development. Yeah, so, and, and, and Catherine, one thing, so we did a uh, Grizzle Cannabis Con uh, it was like yeah. basically we had all the leaders of the U.S. Uh, cannabis sector come. That was a good little download here. But we're so in psychedelics, we're doing a Grizzle Psychedelics Con in uh, on June 28th, and that will be a so for me too. There are a lot of new companies that I don't fully know as well. So I'm still you know getting up to speed on what's out there in the market. So you know we're but psychedelics is truly one of the most interesting spaces in terms of uh, there is a there is um unmet need. And that is, you know, there's, there's, there's a significant portion of the population that is dealing with clinical depression, uh, PTSD, these problems aren't being fixed and we need mm -hmm. fixes for them. Well, you know, and especially now with COVID, you know, I think that everybody's really tried to make it through as best as they can. Um, and I think people have at the same time, I think that, um, you know, there will be a, a time period whereby people have probably have had to go through things that, they haven't been able to deal with because you're just in this atmosphere and, and they will deal with it more so perhaps when we get back to normal for, for whatever right. reason. That's just probably how this is going to evolve a bit. So yeah, I hear you. Uh, um, no. yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, I think you're bang on. It's, it, it's you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we've, we've saved lives by doing what we've done. But I think on the other side, I think there's a uh, there, there's there's a lot of pain that that has been created, and especially for young kids too. I think it's it's a very challenged situation for uh, yeah. You know, it's it's. I'm I'm not sure that there. You know, I think what we're going to deal with on the other side, especially as it relates to addiction. Um. Uh. You know, as specifically around uh. You know, video games or what. You know, it actually doesn't have to be a. You know, it doesn't have to be you know alcohol or whatever. Uh. You know, you're gonna. There are a lot of kids that are they're gonna need deprogramming, if you will. Yeah, you're right. You know, um, one of my dear friends, she's a doctor and she sent out an Instagram with her child climbing up a tree. And I'm like, that is the best thing yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen or heard of in forever. Like, remember when we were little, you just went outside and you climbed up a tree. Yeah, yeah. Hang, hang from it for as long as you can. If you if that's, that was the goal, that, that, you can do it longer. You or your brother. Yeah, that's right? right. That's right. You know, and we, we got to get back to that. But at least the sun is out now, and you, you're like, you know what? It's uh, no, no. It's well, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to go camping tomorrow. I'm, I'm taking the kids. I'm like, listen, pull you out of school. There is no school. It's all virtual anyway. <laughs> what exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Just to wrap it up here, we didn't really go through any of the meme stocks. We don't necessarily need to. I'm not sure that you're in any of them. So 
unless there is one that you think is great, but they're very volatile. What, what's what's the last word as it relates to anyone else listening in these meme stocks? Yeah, so, you know, I wouldn't discount it. And I think we were talking in the green room earlier, yeah. we were talking about, you know, what's the staying power of this meme phenomenon? Um, is it going to be this year or is it till the next downturn or is this forever, right? Or, you know, is the new Wall Street going to have like five people who are analysts that are like trolling Reddit boards or Twitter? Maybe, right? And yeah. I, so so I personally think this, just this medium and we, we were talking about it in the beginning is not going away. Like, so this is that, you know, you're going to have th these avenues that are new ways of where information is disseminated. But I think some of these strategies are basically go up, blow up strategies that are, totally crazy like and i think that is one of those where uh just be careful the one thing we've been saying you know a lot of people say well should i own it's all very mean amc all this sort of stuff we say listen if you want to do do it it's fun it's it's like it, there's lots of fun but you know don't use as much money as you would if you were to go use go to the casino and use the one arm bandit the slot machine whatever money you feel comfortable putting in that slot machine that's how much money you should put on this strategy. And 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 so I try not to devote a ton of airtime on all this stuff. We try to explain the dynamics about what's happening in terms of like their strategies of using options to like, you know, squeeze up the stock. It's all fascinating stuff, but I think people can get easily lured into the, you know, this incredible riches. I don't have to do anything, you know, life will be better. It never works out like that. It never works like that. You know, uh, you, you, you may win one, but it's like the one arm, you know, like the best thing after you win a jackpot is they'll, they'll, they'll load you up with drinks. You just keep staying there. Right. Don't, don't move away from that machine. It may pay you again, but it likely won't. It'll just take your money back. Yeah. That, that's when you leave yeah, that's right. Get out of the casino. That's right. If, you know, if you think about it, who, um, who wasn't, you know, obviously now he's become, you know, an icon, but you know, Mark Cuban's business wasn't a great business. Like he, he, but what his acumen was, was selling at the top of the dot-com bubble, right? Yeah. And he, like he wasn't yeah. Elon Musk in the sense that, you know, he kept in, you know, but he sold at the top of the top of the, you know, he sold his dot-com at the top of the, at the top of the dot-com. He at least understood it, right? He sold his business there. Then he went and bought the Dallas Mavericks and then ended up becoming this kind of like, Hey, listen, I can, you know, I, you know, you know, an influencer of sorts, right? But in terms of, you know, at least he knew he was at the casino. Most people didn't, like, everyone else in .com didn't know they were at the casino. They're like, oh, <laughs> just, you know, and, and that I think is the biggest, you know, as, as long as you have a understanding of where you are uh, and, and, you know, your, your head's not filled with um, illusions of grandeur, you're totally fine. But once you start to, once you start to drink your own Kool-Aid on, you know, I'll make, I'll bank the next five meme, meme stocks. We'll squeeze these guys. The hedge funds are going down. It's, uh, you know, yeah. then, then, then you're part of some army that you never really enlisted for. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we will leave it on that note. This has been so fun. I love Catherine talking to you. It's been a blast. Um, and I love your insight, your background. You come at this obviously from experience on, on Bay Street and Wall Street, having run money for um, a long time. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, India, let's do it again. We'll look yeah, forward we'll do to it. Again. And, and everybody knows where to see you and find you. Do you want to yeah. tell them where? Yeah, so so grizzle.com is that this leads to the website, but we live on Twitter a lot. We're, we 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 have a YouTube as well. So, you know, that's you know, that's where you'll find the uh, Grizzle Cannabis Con, the Grizzle uh, Psychedelics Con. We're everywhere, but um, yeah, you know, the the fun thing is I'm so, you know, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun to see you outside and you know, in this new world of just doing our own things is such a fun place. So fun. I feel creative I, I, like I was like when I was at Montessori. Right. <laughs> okay. Not right. to scare anyone. No. You know, that was the that was the premise of Montessori. It was your day to create. You were the creator. And you know, it's interesting because Jeff Bezos went to Montessori. I'm not making comparison, but what I'm telling you is that I've I've met some tech people over the years. Yeah. And they talk about this Montessori mafia out in Silicon Valley. And I've been meaning to figure out who's actually in it. Actually, you can look it up. It's pretty interesting. No, I have. I yeah, I know this for a fact, right? It kind of is one of those things where you're like, there's this is it, when I think of the asset, and this is if leave, you know, if there are millennials, anyone watching, we're entering the era of create creative capitalism, right? And and uh, you know, if the Montessori, you know, had a structure of of really bringing out creativity, right? And the wh whoever you're betting on right now, 
you want to value them on a bunch of quotients. You don't want creativity to be a bottom, a bottom factor. You, you want to always bet on the creative leaders, right? And, and that yeah. I think we're, you were totally entering that era. Um, and, we, and we are, sorry, we're in that era, right? Of, of you know, creative creativity trumps all. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's creating a lot of stress for the banking establishment, for the media establishment, right? This is like, you, because the reality is you're not controlling the pipes as you once did. Yeah, it, it's, it, I think the, the content is, is controlling the pipes. I think it's reversed. Bingo, and then, that's yeah. it, that's the line. They, it's, it's content first and, and that, you know, that's what it always should have been, but you know, it, it's like, the, and that, you know, that's like, you know, the old, you know, the old world of, um, what's his name, um, who owned all the, all the press companies, uh, oh gosh, um, uh, out in Australia. Well, Murdoch? Bill, no. uh, Rupert Murdoch. Rupert, Rupert you know, yeah. yeah like, I don't think we're going to see that kind of concentration okay. of, of media power again. Like we're, we're basically, you know, where he set the tone for, for all of his, like, it was like, basically they were all the guns were pointing the same way. I can't imagine a place mm -hmm. 10, 20 years, 20, 10, 20 years from now, where you're going to see basically a Rupert Murdoch saying, all of you YouTubers point that way. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even visualize that. Maybe I'm not creative. I'm kidding. Well, okay. but you know the deal. And they all had I the know. same headlines. They all had the same headlines. And, but it was fine. Like that was what, the, and it wasn't just Rupert Murdoch. That was every media establishment, you know, whether you went NBC, like, you know, you see those montages where basically the nightly news is like, you know, at, like at all the local news places, they're all saying the same line and they, they, Clip them all together. So whether you're in Alabama or wherever, they're all saying the same line about some social issue. You're like, what's going on? But it's all coming from head office. Guys, say this. And it's yeah, yeah, anyhow. I think I, yeah. you know, when I look at guys like Joe Rogan, I think like a guy who just doesn't, you know, doesn't care, right? You know, he and he's on a platform in Spotify where they are very woke over there, and he's not very woke. Like, you know, he's not, you know. So when he does an episode that they don't like, and they paid him millions upon millions, when he does an episode that they don't like, they just simply don't put it on the platform. Oh, no. It's like that's if that isn't creative control, I don't know what is, right? Oh, like, whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, everybody. To your point earlier, you know about. Um, you know, I think it had to do with, well, it had to do with the cannabis, but just, you know, we, we've got to bring some niceness back to the world. That's for sure. For sure. For sure. You know what? It's, it's, and we're coming back. It's good. Yeah. We're coming back. <laughs> we're coming back. Okay. We're slowly. And Kevin, I will thank see, you. Thank you. We're going to do this again, of course, but um, we'll do it somehow in person too. It'll be fun. I think to do it at a restaurant, maybe a bar. Hey, that, let's in, do that. Next one's at a bar. Yep. Patio. <laughs> okay. get, get a nice patio going. Yeah. Maybe an audience too. Yeah. In person. Let's, let's All right, do it. Okay, we're going to say it. goodbye to everybody. Thank you very thank you. much, Thomas, George, and Grizzle. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for watching. We'll do it again. We'll see you soon. Thank you.